Brought to you by North Memorial Health, where customers are treated like family. That means a big smile when you walk in the door and making sure your visit is as pleasant as possible. It's just like your family treats you. Find your healthy family at northmemorial.com slash family. Welcome to another episode of the Access Vikings podcast. My name is Andrew Kramer, joined here by Ben Gessling and Michael Rand of the Star Tribune. We're going to be talking about the Vikings 49ers game on Sunday, one that suddenly has some NFC playoff implications. We will also eventually be discussing a serious situation going on with Everson Griffin. At the moment of us recording this right now on Wednesday afternoon, that situation is still unresolved and ongoing at Everson Griffin's home in Minnesota. And so we will have more on that once we know the full story and be able to bring you more details on that as far as uh, his health, his safety, and obviously the situation with the Vikings. But there is still plenty to get to outside of that and also involving the defensive line and involving this team practicing still this week, moving forward with uh, suddenly, like I said, an NFC playoff game that has implications in the standings. Ben, Mike, they're going to have to do it without at least one key member of their defensive line in Dalvin Tomlinson, who tested positive for COVID-19, the latest member of the team put on that list this week. Uh, Ben, you've reported, or I think he's even said he's unvaccinated, which is the big reason why he's already been ruled out six days or five days before the game. So where does this put this defensive line that's that's kind of already been thinned without Michael Pierce and without Daniel Hunter? Well, it, it's going to make it, I think, a difficult matchup against this team because this is a team that runs the ball fairly effectively and likes to run the ball a lot. I mean, this is, I think, Andre Patterson compared to the, to the Browns this morning in terms of their commitment to the run. They will run it. 30 times a game if they feel like they have the matchups to do so and not really worry too much about the balance side of things. I'm trying to remember that playoff game a couple of years ago. They, I think, had a couple stretches in that game where they just ran the ball seven or eight times in a row and the Vikings had no answer for it. So if you find yourself in that situation again on Sunday, I think this is a, a tough spot for them to be. And you're probably looking at I think Sheldon Richardson playing defensive end again, that's at least the early indications in practice today would seem like that's where we're heading. Um, I'm not sure really what else you do. So yeah, it's a tough spot to be thin right now. And um, this is a a mashup that you're facing a team that could exploit that in that particular spot. Yeah. And the Vikings are bringing back a familiar face reportedly uh, taking Deshaun Bauer off the Patriots practice squad and adding him to their 53 man roster this afternoon. But yeah, it's him, Patrick Jones, it's Eddie Yarborough. Um, it's uh, Kenny Willekes potentially at defensive end and then defensive tackle, as you had mentioned, Armand Watts, James Lynch, this defensive line is going to look a little more Mike, like it did in 2020. But I was just thinking, and you know, really the last, Meaningful, I guess. Was it still meaningful at that point? Game that we saw from that defensive line was another holiday, Christmas, right? Wasn't it Alvin Kamara running for six, scoring six touchdowns? Can't remember if they were all rushing touchdowns or not, but scoring six touchdowns, the Saints getting, I think, 52 points in that game. It might not be as bad in this one. I think they at least defend the pass a little bit better now, and San Francisco still likes to do that from time to time. But yeah, it's going to be probably an occasion where again they'll need their offense they'll need to kind of stay in that mode of being aggressive if if they're going to have a chance to win this game because it's going to be hard to stop San Francisco and it's going to be hard to keep hard to get San Francisco off the field if they're getting 
you know, a lot of yards on the ground and kind of wearing them down, kind of like what we saw Baltimore do in the second half a few day, a few weeks ago. I think that's part of the issue the Vikings are, are going to be facing is, you know, at least when you were facing a team that uh, didn't try to grind down games and grind the clock the way that opponents like Cleveland, Baltimore, San Francisco do, you, you could at least bank on your offense getting the ball back. And instead, you're going to see San Francisco, God, they had a 20-play opening drive against Jacksonville where um, they ended up kicking a field goal, I think, on fourth and one from the two. I mean, it was the most conservative approach you could ever take, but they did it knowing they were going up against a Jacksonville team that probably wasn't going to run up the score. So you might as well. And if you give them that chance, they will grind it out and just keep you on the field for 10, 11, 12 minute drives. And this game could take on a little bit of a feel. Ben, I found it just as interesting when Andre Patterson compared them to Cleveland, because this game could take on that feel for the Vikings if it goes south. Yeah, it could. I mean, this is a team that I, I think if you're going to invest in the running game in this day and age, you have to do it knowing that it might be a long tail type of thing where you're going to have some time of runs that get stuffed and, and analytics would say, this is not the most efficient thing to do in this particular down and distance, but you do it saying that it's going to have a cumulative effect. We're going to be able to wear people down over the course of the game. I think analytics would even debate some of those things, but coaches, from watching this and coaching it and being on the, on the sidelines for it every week, feel like there is an effect and, and players feel like there's an effect in a physical sense. So I think if you're going to do it, you have to commit and the Browns do it and the 49ers do it. So yes, the, the similarities there, I think are, are going to be where we see that show up in the sense that fourth quarter, you know, maybe a lot of those runs start turning into six, seven yards just because you pounded it for so long that people are getting too tired to stop it, especially if the Vikings are thin both in terms of bodies and in terms of their top performers on the defensive line. Yeah. And, and Ben, I want to get your thoughts on this. Cause I thought it was interesting that even when they had Hunter um, and they didn't have Pearson, haven't had him really since the first four games since that Cleveland game. Um, yeah. But they haven't been able to break through and get tackles for losses. I decided, I think it was for a, a piece a couple of weeks ago, go back and look historically at their tackles for losses every year, how this year stacks up. And this would be worse, their current rate in terms of how many tackles per losses per game, which is just a, an indication of how that defense is breaking through the offense to force negative plays. It's the lowest rate since they've had Mike Zimmer. It was worse than last year. And I just wonder how much of that's a product of them not having the guys who win up front when, when you're not having Daniil, you're not having Michael Pierce, and the other guys just not doing it. Or how much is a product of this system, which is kind of read and react, right? Hold up blocks and then go, you know, um, force the ball carrier to take things wide. I guess it's a little bit of give and take because they don't play that one gap style attacking defense. But at the same time, they're still not even living up to the standard they had set before in terms of forcing negative plays on the offense. Yeah, it, it is, I think, somewhat the system because I've, I've heard their coaches talk at clinics about that before, about we want our linebackers to process slow and react fast. Basically, know what you're looking at before you go. Basically, you know, take the time to read it through, read the running back, read the guards, where everybody's going before you attack, knowing that you could be out of a gap if you go too soon. So, yeah, that probably plays a role into it, but they also have linebackers that can run and have been in this system for an awfully long time. So I think some of that probably comes from not having the ability to keep blockers from getting to the second level and getting bodies on those linebackers. 
Like if, if you're seeing the tackles for loss go down, that's in part what's probably happening. And, and they've talked a lot about how they play blocks. And I mean, really, they ask their tackles to do a lot of things that three, four teams do in terms of keep blockers off our linebackers so our linebackers can run. That, that tends to be a principle of a three, four defense. The Vikings obviously don't run that, but they have their front line. They play, they have their defensive line play that technique quite a bit. So if they're not getting tackles for loss, I think that's probably where you start is that they're not doing enough to occupy blockers and giving linebackers space to run when they do decide to go, or at the very least creating enough of a pile up that linemen can't get out, running backs don't have anywhere to go, and sometimes tackles for loss happen by a result of that. I, I think it's probably tied into that as much as anything. Yeah, you're, that's a good point because we are not seeing those numbers certainly haven't followed Eric Hendricks the same way that he's used to seeing. And, and I think yeah, yeah. I think Daniel Hunter and Michael Pierce were two of the, the team leaders in those stats, even though they hadn't played, uh, you know, in three weeks, at least in Daniel's case and much longer for Michael Pierce's case. So there's just going to need some all world effort. I don't I don't know how you do this, because if you're the Vikings, you could at least say, OK, if we're down in the secondary, you know, and we're facing Justin Herbert like they were a couple weeks ago. You can scheme some things up coverage-wise. You can scheme some things up blitz-wise. Uh, but if you're the Vikings and you just get pushed back two or three yards at the line of scrimmage, there's no counter for that besides putting eight guys in the box to try and stop Jeff Wilson and Debo Samuel back there. So, And then you just are opening yourselves up on the back end by doing that with this play-action game that San Francisco is so good at. So this is going to be – if they find a way to keep this game close – I think it's going to be one of their best defensive coaching efforts to do so. Cause just depth chart wise, they don't match up very well right now, obviously uh, with that defensive line depleted as it is. Yeah. I mean, they, they talk a lot about building this defense front to back. And when you're as depleted as you are up front, it's awfully hard to do that. It's awfully hard to kind of feel like you have much of a foundation. And I think, you know, certainly the 49ers are not the Packers or the chargers in terms of what they can, you to hurt you in the passing game, but Debo Samuel is as, as dangerous of a receiver, a dangerous of a an, an athlete, I guess, in that sense of just a guy that gets the ball in a lot of different places as anybody in the NFL. And yeah, the running game side of things, I think, makes this awfully tough. I, this was one Mark Craig and I were just talking about this. Um, both of us felt at the beginning of the week, you go into this one thinking they they have a good chance to win, and now the developments such as they are, you feel like this matchup doesn't sit terribly well and they're going to have to do a lot to compensate for that. Yeah, and I do think it's interesting. One of the other elements of this always when the Vikings and 49ers face off is the connection between Kyle Shanahan, Kirk Cousins. That gets talked about a lot. Kirk Cousins, I thought, had an interesting counter today when he said, look, I haven't played for Kyle Shanahan since 2013. Like it's, it's been a while, meaning that we've both grown as a play caller and as a quarterback since then quite a bit. Rotations Um, happened more recently than that. Exactly. Exactly. Kyle Shanahan has come out and said, that is the quarterback I would love to have for my system. He of course said all those things before they traded up to third overall to take Trey Lance, um, who is going to continue his redshirt year on the bench because the Vikings are going to face Garoppolo on Sunday. But this connection between the two, between Cousins Shanahan, speaks more to just the similarities these two teams share on offense and how maybe San Francisco um, has been able to kind of get more out of that system, at least in, you know, you think of the 13-3 and three year that, that got them to the Super Bowl, at least it took them farther. Um, 
But the Vikings are, I don't know, are they pivoting a little bit from that way of life, Ben, in terms of this system and the offense? Or what are you seeing in terms of the aggressiveness we're now seeing from Kirk? Um, is, it, is it still within that kind of offensive system or are they changing a little bit? Well, it's always interesting with this system because it, it's been historically one where you've said we need to compensate for or at least make life easier for a quarterback who's, you know, okay. I guess Garoppolo, Jared Goff, Matt Schaub, kind of go down the list. Um, Alex Smith, probably to some degree, although I guess that would have, yeah, it probably predates them being in this system. But yeah, a lot of these types of quarterbacks have been the guys. And, and one of the things that I think when Matt LaFleur went to Green Bay, people said is it's going to be really interesting to see this system operated by a truly top level quarterback. And we've seen the results of that in Green Bay. Certainly last year, they had the best offense in the NFL. Um, Cousins is not Rodgers. Cousins, I would submit at this point, is playing better than a lot of the guys we've seen operate this system. And he's doing so with probably as good or better talent at receiver. I mean, the Rams, those Rams teams with Jared Goff when they went to the Super Bowl had a lot of weapons as well. But Jefferson and Thielen give you a pretty good place to start. So, yeah, I, I think when you have a guy that can push the ball downfield to the degree that Cousins can and a guy that is as accurate with some of those downfield throws as he is, you're within your right to say, let's open it up. And I think you know, he, he talked about that a little bit today. Mark Craig sat down with him for a few minutes and he had some interesting things to say about that that will be in the paper on Sunday. But suffice it to say, I think he's felt like this has been within him to do this. And I think Jay, what Jalen Ramsey said a couple of years ago, that Cousins is the best play action quarterback in the league. And, and the deep balls off play action have been there for him. And we even saw a little bit of that on Sunday. I think one of those deep shots was off play action. So it's, it's still there. And I think it makes sense for him to push the ball downfield, given the talent you have. And, and just given the fact that that's been part of his game more so than – I mean, he's been the checkdown guy too, but we do see him have the ability to stretch the field when he's got the people to do it. Yeah, Mike, Kirk maintains that he's playing the same. He says that he always has, which tries to be methodical, playing within the system and all that stuff. But we are seeing a system that's trying to push the ball downfield more. Play calling has become more aggressive. The coaching has become different and more aggressive because we see Jefferson moved into the backfield in a, in a wrinkle that – uh, was more creative than we had seen from this team, certainly in getting the ball to Justin. And then also some of those deep shots that Ben was talking about to Justin came on downs like third and three, third and six, where defenses are used to this conservative offense aiming for the sticks, if not more shallow. And instead, that's when they decided to open things up. Like that to me shows that even if this is still within this kind of conservative structure and system, they're opening it up a little bit more than they're used to. Yeah, I would agree with that. I just think the you just look at any of the the numbers from the last couple of weeks, and it just seems to indicate that they're they're more willing to do that. They're it seems like the ball is traveling more in the air, and they're not hitting on all of them. And you don't hit to, you don't have to hit on all of them. You don't even have to hit on more than half of them to make you know those longer throws valuable. You might get a pass interference like they did um, in one case against Green Bay. You at least put that threat out there, and then you know obviously that makes some of the the safer stuff you want to do more possible because at least the defense has to account for some of those other things. So yeah, it, it definitely seems like something 
that has changed. I mean, you and I talked a couple of days ago on daily delivery, just about how much better he's been under pressure in the last couple of weeks, just like still, you know, still taking some chances, even, even when there's been pressure coming at him as opposed to just checking it down all the time. And again, that's, that's going to be important in this game. Cause if it's like the Cleveland game that you guys are kind of referencing already, where it could be, you know, they're not going to, they might not have as many chances on offense. They're going to have to make the most of those chances. And against Cleveland, they just didn't, he, he, he didn't make a lot of plays in that game and they lost 14 to seven. Do you live, are you going to be okay with living and dying by that aggressiveness, Mike, as, a, as somebody as, as an observer no. of this team every Sunday, <laughs> like, let's I'll, say if that, if that Packers game would have ended with Kirk throwing the pick and Rogers marching down the field, like uh, is, is your reaction to the aggressiveness different? Oh, it absolutely is. And that's, that's the, that's the, that's the bad part of it, right? Like you, you I think you said your, your phrase the other day was process over results. And I think that's true, but you know, Kirk cousins also talked about they're kind of living on the razor's edge. And it, part of being a good quarterback is kind of knowing where that edge is knowing kind of what, what the safe risky play is. And that seems like kind of a weird kind of thing to say, but like, you know, where's a part of the field that, you know, the, the worst that can happen is probably an incompletion as opposed to an interception where, when, and where is the time to, to kind of throw it into a tight window, things like that. That's the part of things that I don't know a hundred percent yet. If he's figured out that some of the true, you know, best five quarterbacks in the league have figured out. Um, but if you're, if your big picture question is, can I live with an interception? Um, yeah. And I think you're going to have to, if, if the trade-off is, trying to score points i just will have to live with it doesn't mean we won't complain about it but you have to live with it yeah and, and ben i asked mike that question because it's not totally irrelevant in the sense that everybody's human and coaches react the same way where zimmer is now the one saying today on wednesday of this week i give kirk the green light to be this aggressive all the time to push the ball downfield and in like he's mentioned now multiple times live with an interception if we take it um, that same thought process Mike just went through. It seems like Mike Zimmer has gone through the same thing over the years where he's finally kind of come to this acceptance of we just need to score. Yeah. I mean, I remember him saying some of this with Teddy Bridgewater too, where he <laughs> had that moment where he told Teddy, Hey, if you throw an interception, it's not the end of the world. I don't know that a quarterback in his 10th year needs to have his approach molded by the head coach to the same degree that a guy who was in his first year as a starter probably did. Um, and Mike Zimmer has said it to cousins and, and maybe having a little bit more license to do it has changed his approach. It, it sounds like some of the assistant coaches, Andrew Janoco, the quarterbacks coach has been instrumental in saying, Hey, let's, let's push this thing a little bit. And Andrew Janoco was the wide receivers coach last year. So certainly knows as well as anybody, what Jefferson and Thielen do best and how to set them up to be successful as well. So that may be, part of the equation, but I, like I say, I, I think some of this has been in cousins game and maybe just needed a little bit of a nudge to get back to it. I certainly don't think this is a completely novel approach for him to be pushing the ball. And heck we've seen it with, with digs and dealing in the past too. So I think some of it is maybe just resetting and, and getting back to some of the things they've done in the past after probably going a little too far in the other direction before. Yeah, and I think it's interesting because teams seem to have defenses seem to have caught up a little bit to some of their deep play action game where, you know, yeah. we, we did see that with Thielen and Diggs in the past, but a lot of that was leveraged off the fake, the run fakes, right? Yes. And it, it seems like this year their run fakes haven't been as effective at pushing the ball downfield. And I don't know if that's protection issues where, like we've talked about, 
teams just kind of attack the edge on these bootlegs, or if that's downfield issues where they're covering these downfield routes better, but whatever the case is, they've had to kind of create new ways to, to get these downfield things and going. And, and a lot of it just seems to be Justin go run straight. And I'm just going to throw it up for you. Yeah. Well, I asked Kirk about that a little bit today. I think you, you have the benefit with him of, I mean, you saw it, the, the catch at the end of the game, looked as close to deep to Moss as anything. I mean, the, the, the adjustment, the sort of little hand in Eric Stokes, and then he turns back for the ball and dances in the end zone as, as uh, Stokes is helpless to do anything about it is that looked like Randy Moss to me. And when you have a guy like that, that can win at the line of scrimmage is fast enough to get downfield has the body control to turn back for the ball like that, or, or some of the sideline catches we've seen, and can get up over the top of most of your defensive backs, it creates another level of separation. You don't have to beat a guy by two or three yards if you can get up and get over the top of him. And if you're Cousins and you can say, I could put the ball in a spot where, as, as players like to say, it's ours or nobody's, um, and you have a receiver that can go up and get it, it, I think, opens things up a little bit. So maybe you're not able to scheme it quite the same way. I thought the one... I think it was on the 56-yarder where they had Jefferson and Thielen on the same side. And Thielen ran kind of an intermediate route that, that occupied, I think, Stokes. And then it was Jefferson running one-on-one downfield with Adrian Amos. I mean, some of those things are going to help give you the one-on-one matchups you want. But uh, you still got to go win. They have the receivers to do it. And I think some of it is just trusting that they have the guys that if you put it up one-on-one, they're going to come down with it more often than not. Or – in the case of the one with Adam Thielen last week, they played defensive back and break up an interception. So he had one of those, I think, against Darnell Savage in the second half of that game as well. Vikings have the receivers to push the ball downfield. We have the listeners to field a good mailbag here this week. We have one question from Mike Zimmer. Aggressive HC wants to know, do the Vikings have a center? Is that his burner or is somebody just uh, aping the screen name? I, I think it might be Mike's, yeah, Mike's actual burner. And Mike Zimmer wants to know: Do we have a center? Do they? Do he the might Vikings... need to. That's not a very good burner. If you <laughs> call yourself Mike Zimmer, aggressive head coach, maybe maybe the the burner part is that nobody would think it's aggressive head coach. So it's like oh, I can't really be him. Exactly. I mean, maybe it's, just, it's just crazy enough to work. I don't know. Anyway, what's the question? The only thing, the only thing that would have been better if it was said Mike Zimmer, pass first head coach. Um, he yes. said it on Sunday. He talked about the basketball run. It was like an analytically woke take, and I just about fell out of my seat. John Filippo sitting at home shaking his, his TV, like, what are you talking about? But you I was telling you. Yeah. <laughs> he wants to know, do the Vikings have a center on the roster? Do, do they have a center? Do they know who their center is, Ben? I don't think they know who it is. I mean, Mike Zimmer didn't seem to say today that it was set in stone. I, I think some of it will be how you feel about the matchup. I I think maybe it's Mason Cole again this week. We'll have to see how it goes. But um, whether or it's Cole or whether it's Bradbury after some deliberation, it's not a great endorsement of where Bradbury's at. I, I think we can say that. A guy that you picked in the first round and you're sitting there on a week-to-week basis saying, well, we got to figure this out. I mean, it's like the if you have two quarterbacks, you don't have any kind of thing. Yep. It's, uh, it feels very similar in this setting. 
Yeah. Yeah. You, you just read my mailbag answer for Friday verbatim because that's exactly what it is. It, it, it doesn't speak well of Bradbury, nor does it speak well of Mason Cole that you can't say definitively that he's our guy for the guy that couldn't do well before him. So I think Mason didn't do that great against Kenny Clark and the Packers. Few centers do, but we did see that center Cole driven back into the quarterback multiple times that looked as if Bradbury were in uniform. Yeah. It was similar to what we've seen with Kenny Clark in the past. So I, I think Zimmer's reaction seemed pretty genuine when he when he asked about who your starting center is. He just goes, I don't, I don't know. We'll see how the week goes. I mean, I really think that they're going to rotate these guys again. Kirk Cousins' press conference today would indicate such, and then they're going to find out who it is. And if it is that close, I guess I don't know why you wouldn't just put your first-round talent back out there and hope he goes on some kind of a run because, Mike, I don't know what else their options are. They don't. And the problem is, I mean, they, if you know the, the depth they got behind Bradbury, like you guys have said, was kind of a Bradbury type, a lighter, you know, lighter being a relative term, but a guy that's going to have trouble against some of those bigger, more physical, you know, defensive tackles. Uh, I, what I, what I would love to see is uh, a center on this roster who was bigger and could maybe, you know, even if they weren't as nimble and couldn't do kind of that, some of the pulling and and other other schematic things they like to do just someone who can stand up to, you know, that, that surge. I mean, maybe why not play Ole Udo at center? You guys let's uh, let's not rule it out. Right. But your, your point, your bigger points are good that they don't seem to have a great option there right now. And that it probably speaks worse of, Bradbury than anybody else at this point. Yeah, even and I think them not having an answer for Sunday, it projects across long term. They don't have an answer long term right now at that position. You would have to assume this offseason that's going to be one of their biggest things to address uh, is the interior line once again. So once we get to that draft talk, I'm sure we'll be talking about plenty of that. Um, we got another question here. Greg wants to know, is the team actually improving or are these 50, 50 games just evening out? It feels like we're cleaning up some things, but particularly the secondary and the offensive line seem to be up and down week to week. So Mike, this was I'm, a great question. Oh yeah. Ben, you started that. What, what do you think about this? Are, are they actually improving or not? I, I, I have wondered the same thing. I think this was, uh, it, I thought it was a great question because it's, we've seen a lot of this early in the year. It was, well, we're this close to beating the Bengals. We're this close to beating the Cardinals and these are good teams and we're a play away. And we've also seen it flip where they're a play away from losing to the lions and the Panthers. So I, I think they're better than 500. I think they're more talented than that, but yeah, some of it probably is just some of this stuff evening out and they're, if they're going to play close games every week, I mean, that's the NFL. If you're going to play a close game every week, you're going to lose some of them just because it comes down a lot of times to who's got the ball in the last two minutes. So I, I guess I tend to think some of it's that you play enough of these, you're going to end up close to 500 in a lot of them. Um, I think they're a better team than that. And that'll, they'll probably break through and win one of these here, but yeah, it's uh it's an interesting question. I, th- I think it's certainly one that we can debate a little bit because it's one I've wondered about myself. Yeah, Mike, what do you think? I think they are a little bit better. And actually, I will answer that question with another question that Danny had sent me because they kind of are linked together. Danny Carlson on Twitter said, despite the ups and downs, it's weird that the Vikings have in general be con- have in general been consistent. It seems counter to the narrative, but thoughts. And he points to 
a football outsiders graphic, um, their DVOA graphic showing that they've had the, the least amount of variance in their DVOA in the whole season that they've, you know, especially compared to Buffalo, like Buffalo's Buffalo has four games this year that are better than any of the Vikings games, but they have four games that are worse than any of the Vikings worst games this year. Like the Vikings have been very close to kind of that middle, a little above in pretty much every game this season. Um, their games since the bye have been a little bit better, I think, than the games before the bye. So if we, you know, if we take that into consideration, I think the answer probably is, yeah, they've gotten a little bit better, but I think more than they've gotten better is probably just some of these, you know, almost every game has been down to the wire. And if you play enough of them, some of them are going to go your way. And I think it's more, I think if it's like 75%, things are evening out and 25% that they've been playing a little bit better. Yeah. I, I fall on the whole, the NFL is just a bunch of game, one score games where it's just one bounce dictates it, right? If, if we talked about it earlier, if, if that interception at the end by Kirk Cousins sticks and gives Rodgers the chance to march down the field, we're talking about this in a totally different way of, oh, they blew another uh, big lead 16 to three to start the game, couldn't hold on to it. It's the same story, they're the same team. Um, but because Cousins is able to finish it with the ball in his hands the way they did, you know, we're talking about this through the lens of now they're more aggressive. Now they found something that works. And I think there's a little truth to both. I think they have found different aspects that work. I think they have found a way to uh, outpace an offense and a quarterback and Aaron Rodgers. And if they would have played that way in Baltimore against Lamar Jackson, perhaps they would have won that game and it wouldn't have been as close or come down to the wire like it did. Um, but at the same time, the, the consistency is remarkable to me. And I saw the same football outsiders graphic and DVOA is one of those efficiency metrics that you can look up the methodology on if you want, but uh, it is generally a good indicator of what are the better teams in the league, that if you have a team with a lower record, but they have a high DVOA, generally your, your, uh, points, uh, your point differential is going to be closer. You're going to be a better team than the record would indicate. And with all that said, I think the Vikings, Ben, for as up and down as they seem to be, for always being in one-score games, there's maybe an argument to be made that they are actually just remarkably consistent, which is about just as good as their opponent. Yeah. Yeah, and that may get you to nine and eight, but that may be enough to get in. And you play in a one-game playoff situation that comes down to a close game. Who knows? I mean, I think the NFC is is wide open enough that you get if you get in, you say we'll take our chances. You're going to have to go on the road and beat three good teams in three weeks to go anywhere to go to the Super Bowl. But uh, you may not have to win that many games to keep everybody employed with another chance to go do it again. And I will say, too, that one of the things, especially the big differences on Sunday, was you when Kirk talks about that, that razor's edge and how that's where the, it's not just where he lives as a quarterback, it's where this entire team lives. And when you have a game where you're only penalized three times and it's a season yeah. low, three, three penalties, your offense wasn't penalized at all in that game, um, that is one Careful. of those things. That's one of those things. No, I'm saying that's one of those things where you can point to and say like a Packer fan complaining about the refs. Packers fans would call it the Sean Hockey League game. Point you can point to it though and say that's an area of improvement. That is somewhere where they have changed from those losses in previous games, where you can yeah. say that is a market improvement. Um, also, things like their their red zone rates, their third down rates, their aggressiveness in those situations. That's all stuff that is quantifiable, and you can say they have improved at in that Packers game, but if they lose with a late interception in San Francisco because of the same aggressiveness, we're just talking about a team that is just not, uh, is not that much better than everybody they play. They're just always going to have to gut out these, 
these wins. And when you start losing players like they have been left and right, I don't see how that certainly is going to change. Um, well, and it would have been the same thing last week. If Darnell Savage comes down with that ball and they're on the 40-yard line or so, I mean, do we have any doubt that Rodgers, the way he'd been playing, is driving down to put them in position for a field goal? I suppose the doubt would be if Mason Crosby's going to make it. But yes. if that comes – I mean, I'm thinking in the press box at the time when he comes out with that pick, like, oh, boy, they're going to lose this game. But, yeah, I mean, you're right. They're, they're living on that edge. They're living with a lot of players – out for different reasons um and yeah it, you're you're going to just have to white knuckle it probably the whole way through the season it's i've gotten very good at ripping up game stories with uh, a few three minutes left it, my my time as a baseball writer has never uh prepared me so much for an nfl season as for this one you should have um, a, you should have a keyboard shortcut for the phrase or so it seemed <laughs> you know what i actually have a few keyboard shortcuts i have one this is going to be a funny little thing, but I, I have one for when I go on the radio um, to send somebody the text of, hey, just just an FYI, this is my, how my last name's pronounced. It's not Gosling, it's Gessling. So I just do like a phonetic pronunciation of it. I have to type that so much that I have developed a keyboard shortcut for just as an FYI, my last name is pronounced Gessling. So <laughs> I, I'm not beyond doing that. I'll okay. Say that. Or so it seemed. Yes. Uh, ben, do you have any questions you wanted us to get to? Yeah, uh, Jeff sent us one uh, via email. He sent us a couple in the last few weeks. <clears throat> he starts by kissing up to us, which flattery will get you everywhere. So, but that's fine. We can we can roll with that. I'll take that anytime. I uh, said you and the guys did a great job predicting the Vikings would go two and two over the brutal stretch. What is your prediction for the next four games? And he also wants to know: Is Turducken a Minnesota thing? And how did this get started? John Madden. Happy Thanksgiving. Don't know about the Turducken thing. Madden is from Minnesota, though. Um, we, we did predict they needed to go to a two to stay, to stay relevant. I don't know if I predicted this is how they would go to a two or if any of us really saw this. Yeah. How. yeah. Two and two the hard way is what yeah, it was. Good. <laughs> yeah. We're going to, they're going to lose to Cooper Rush and Lamar Jackson, but they're going to beat Justin Herbert and Aaron Rodgers. Um, yeah, I, I just don't think that's how anybody really saw it coming, but, um, what, so his question was how, we'll how do you the credit though? His I mean, question <laughs> His question was, how do we see the rest of it playing out? The next four. The next four, yeah. And so that is San Francisco, Detroit, Pittsburgh, and who? Chicago. Chicago. At Chicago. So three of them on the road. I mean, be, all four of them winnable games. I mean, if, if you – I mean, then you got the Rams, the Packers, and then the Bears to finish it. I feel like, I feel like you'd like to go three and one – just because Chicago is a mess right now. I don't know what the no. resolution with Nagy is, but it sounds like he could be out after this week, which could be good or bad for them. I don't know what which which one that is. San Francisco is going to be in? tough. What? Who steps in? Yeah, Nagy. it's a good question. Freddie Kitchens? Or? John DeFilippo. That's what I'm going oh, for. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay. Okay. That would be fun. I'm quite ready for that. I mean – at the Lions, I mean, they almost lost to the Lions. I'm not, you know, you don't put any game in the automatic hopper. Home against the Steelers, you should win that game. I just don't think the Steelers are all that good. At the Bears, I mean, so honestly, like there's out of these four, if you, if we're, if we're being honest, they should win at Detroit and they should win at Chicago. Whether they do is another question because that's just, you know, that's just the nature of how they've played and the nature of this division. 
And then I think out of home against Pittsburgh and at San Francisco, you ought to win one of them. So I really think three and one is within their reach and kind of, I don't know if it's a hundred percent necessary, but I wouldn't want to be six and well, I, I don't, I don't think I'd want to be seven and seven and needing two out of those three against green Bay and the Rams and home against the bears to, to get into the playoffs. So I think if they're serious, I think three and one's got to be the, 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 the aim during this stretch, even if that one comes this week. Yeah, that's just it, Ben. If, if, if they lose this week, that still carries a lot of implications in what is a tight NFC playoff race. But if you're seven and seven through the next four, you're still right there probably. Yeah, I, I don't think we're going to end up in a situation where the day after Christmas against the Rams, they're saying that they're out of anything. I just I don't think they're going to lose that many or that the field is going to get so far away from them that they're not playing, um, to use the baseball phrase, meaningful games into late December. I, I think they I, three and one is certainly doable um, The with the I think the the questions being. Is Pittsburgh have enough left to be a challenge on that Thursday night? And does Soldier Field in mid-December at night become an issue? I mean, they, they haven't been great in those cold weather outdoor grass games in the past. and That place has always given them trouble. I mean, they won last year, so they shook that um, boogeyman off a little bit. But, you know, you wonder about that to some degree. I, I think on paper though, three and one, it, if, if the path to three and one is beating the bears, beating the lions and beating the Steelers at home, that should be doable. And if you're eight and six, yeah, I, I think you're in awfully good shape to uh, go to the playoffs. Yeah. I know Khalil Mack is out and I know the bears are in total disarray and might have uh, an interim head coach by then, but I still don't know how anybody can feel good about the Vikings going into soldier field for any game ever. Um, just because of what's happened to them. A lot of weird things there. Just a lot of weird things. The clocks the clock will stop for crying out loud. <laughs> the clocks will go out. The field will implode and Bane will come from underneath it. I don't know. Things will just happen. Um, that happened at Heinz Field, I think. Oh, that's sorry. That was Pittsburgh's field. My bad. <laughs> this is the movie field. That's where the, they filmed it. Uh, anyway, so, all right. Well, we will be back from Sunday at Levi's Stadium in San Francisco, breaking down everything that happened in Vikings 49ers. Please check it out at startribune.com and please tell your friends about the Access Vikings podcast. Maybe you should get off the podcast.